Here we go. The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. So what do you think about plea deals? Do you know what a plea deal is? Does a plea deal even exist in the UK? Yeah, for sure it exists in the UK, yeah. So how does that work? Because, I mean, the, the, the American uh, sort of definition of justice in the UK is that it's backwards from the US and, and that you have to, as a defendant in the UK, you have to prove your innocence rather than the prosecution having to prove your, your guilt. Is that an accurate summary? I wouldn't say so. No, I don't think that's an accurate summary. It's a bit sensational. A very sensational, I would say, yeah. So, uh, correct us. Well, it's, it's very similar to the, to the U.S. system, really. I'm pretty sure the U.S. system based their system upon ours. You know, you know we have a... We don't have, a like, a DA um, like you guys have for each state. You guys have a DA, don't you? That kind of looks after a lot of the justice policies locally, don't you? Well, in the state, it's the attorney general. And then the DA right. is district attorney, and there. So of of course, you know by definition, it's attorneys of different districts or counties. For example, Fannie Willis is the district attorney for Fulton County. Right, I understand. But if somebody came to you and said, uh, you, you know, came and accused you of assault or something like that. How would you present your defense? What would the trial be like? Okay, so first of all, it works very much in the same way as America. So you would be uh, detained or arrested based on the, the claims. And then the police have 24 hours in which they can hold you. And then they have to physically charge you with whatever they want to charge you with. So if, 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 they have, if they feel like they've got enough evidence to, to arrest you with, they'll arrest you. And then they'll question you over the, over the next 24 hours that they can hold you. And if they, if, if they physically can't um, have enough evidence to charge you, then they'll just let you go. Or that if they think they need more time, they'll release you pending investigation. Or they'll just, if they think they've got enough evidence, they'll charge you straight away. And then from there, there goes the legal system. So you go to court and you say whether you're going to plead guilty or not guilty and you get a court appointed attorney if you don't have one it's very much the same as it is in the u.s so how would it work like julian assange for example he's he was accused of uh sexual assault which was later disproven but he's still being held in prison in the uk Awaiting extradition to the United States. It's not a big story this week. I just got to thinking. Why isn't Julian Assange out of prison? I mean, we all know why. Because he he blew the whistle on illicit government dealings. But if somebody accused you of rape. How I mean, what, what what's your what's your defense? I didn't, I didn't do it. And they say, okay, well, she says, or he, uh-huh, you did do it. 
your move. Yeah, I mean, it literally is a he said, she said sort of. Or he. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or whatever that might be. You know? I can't resist. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of Julian Assange, that, that becomes much more complicated. I don't really know how Interpol works. There are ways that the Interpol system works that's like kind of separate from you know, the, the normal jurisdiction, like if a company, if a country says this person has been convicted of this crime in this country, and we want you to detain this person in your country, pending an investigation, then extradite them to, to our country. Well, I guess I think it's, it's something like they get arrested, then they have to go to court and they can, and, and Julian Sarge, I think he's in prison because they've detained him based on the Interpol, but he's in, he's appealed the extradition a bunch of times. So it's like, it's very complicated. It's not like a typical sort of crime where you'd be charged for doing something directly in the country. It's, it's, um, right. Well, Julian Assange doesn't want to come here and get Epstein. No, no, I completely understand why he doesn't want to go to the U.S. And it, yeah. if you're an enemy of the state or, or the regime, or I guess in, in this case, what, like NATO or, or the, the Western allies, yeah. then you go away for as long as they decide that you need to go away. And I don't know yeah. what they, th I mean, I, I guess they're hoping that Julian Assange dies in prison, which is kind of going to be the theme of today's show. So that's cheery. And we also have a story that blew my mind this morning. It's going to blow your mind too. Oh, really? I'm excited. Well, well, not you, you 404, you, you already know what's going on, uh, but, but the listeners my excitement Specifically. is dwindled. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just call back to earlier when we were really excited that we made this discovery and nobody is covering it. And I almost wondered if we should lead just to keep everyone uh, engaged. But now we're going to make you wait. We got Fanny yeah. Willis. We, we got to talk about Fanny Willis and, and her trial. But first, I just want to ask if you can articulate yeah. Why, wh why do we have this, in your opinion, why do we have this misconception about the system of justice in the UK? Like, why do you think one would classify it in that way, that you have to prove your innocence as opposed to, you know, having the prosecution or the accuser uh, prove your guilt? I think it's, it's probably... Um... I think it's, it's probably a political and, and cultural thing. I can imagine that many Americans look at the UK and see it as a sea of bureaucracy where government is really large and overbearing. And, you know, they see the history of like how feudal it was and, you know, the king and the queen ruling over and whatever they said went and the government being a little bit more overreachy than maybe they think it really is. Um, and I completely understand it. And to some degree, that is absolutely accurate. And they've probably just applied that that aspect to a lot of uh, the way that the UK um, the the UK justice system works. So I, that's probably why. And we have similar um, feelings about your system. So we would probably think the same exact thing that you guys think of our system as as your system. Because all we see is we see the injustice, just like you guys see only the injustice. We only see the injustice that happens in the US as well. Now, speaking of similarities, and I know we've gone through a lot of uh, the inquiries and such that were sort of aimed at a lot of UK politicians. Yeah. 
have you ever seen anything like, or, or has it even been, could it even be comparable to what is going on with Donald Trump in the United States? No way. No, no, no. I would, I would say as cases get bigger in the UK, the oversight gets larger and it's more difficult for them to fuck, fuck around with stuff. Like case in point was the um, legal battle that Boris Johnson had after he prorogued Parliament and the Supreme Court of the UK completely annihilated him. Um, so, and that wasn't politically charged. It was in black and white. Right, because people aren't stupid. I mean, I, I'm not speaking just about, you know, British people or American people. Just kind of in general. There was yeah. this uh, ruling. I mean, it's, it's the big news this morning that uh, Letitia James, the uh, DA, or no, she's the Attorney General of New York. She ran her campaign to be elected Attorney General on going after Donald Trump. She was going to bring him to justice and hold him to account for, for all of his crimes. <laughs> So the trial comes, the trial day comes. Yeah. There's uh, no, no defense allowed. The judge issues a summary judgment, says, yep, you, uh, you overvalued your assets because I declare there was no trial. There was no presentation of evidence. Okay. So then it just became, well, how much are we going to, it was basically the judge looked at, looked at what, uh, the biased attorney general and prosecutors presented said, yep, this is, this is all correct. Uh, based on what information I have no idea. And now they've declared that he owes 350 million in, in, in what is essentially a fine. And yeah, headlines were made last night slash this morning when, uh, Letitia James gave this interview. He does not have funds uh, to pay off the judgment. Uh, then we will seek, uh, you know, judgment enforcement mechanisms in court, and we will ask the judge to seize his assets. Trump was held liable for exaggerating his wealth and inflating the value of his real estate so banks would give him low interest loans. Trump insisted the banks like doing business with him. They said no victim, no one got harmed, the banks got paid back. So no harm, no foul. Why is that not the case in your view? So financial frauds are not victimless crimes. He engaged in this massive amount of fraud and it wasn't just a simple mistake, a slight oversight. The variations were wildly exaggerated and the extent of the fraud was staggering. Trump said the penalty against him would drive other businesses out of New York. Will appeal, will be successful, I think, because frankly, if we're not successful, New York State is gone. But the state's attorney general told us she's not worried. And last I checked, tourism is up and Wall Street is doing just fine. Even with an impending appeal, Trump must either put all $355 million in escrow at the quarter post a portion of it as a bond with interest. And David, tonight the attorney general is telling us she is determined to make Trump pay, even if it means seizing this building or others long in the Trump portfolio. David. Aaron Katursky with the exclusive interview tonight. So, of course, it's just there, there there's I mean, in, in typical leftist fashion, 
right? They just make these generalized statements like fraud is not a victimless crime, except for the victims that they're claiming actually testified in favor of the defense saying, no, uh, Trump was what they considered a whale of an account. They made lots of money on Donald Trump and they wanted to do uh, to continue doing business with him. Never mind. According to uh, Attorney General Letitia James, it doesn't matter because their only goal is to get Trump. And they have a corrupt judge that's willing to uh, completely hamstring the defense, issue a summary judgment, and then uh, follow up with an outrageous fine that doesn't even... I mean, first of all, they can't show any damages. Right. Because no one's claiming any damages. So they're (laughs) supposed to base... The, the fine or the restitution on some percentage of the damages, which they can't do. So they just throw out an insane number and say that if you, uh, if you can't pay this, we're going to seize your assets. And this is coming from the same legal team uh, that said, uh, your, your Mar-a-Lago property in, in West Palm Beach, Florida is only worth $18 million. And just to show what a crock that is, I'm on Zillow.com right now. We're going to look at West Palm Beach properties. So at first glance, it looks like Trump's really in trouble. Because, you know, he said Mar-a-Lago is worth like $500 million or more. And when you start looking at like the map view of, of Zillow, uh, to, to see other properties in the area, you might think, wow, well, he, uh, he really did overvalue that because everything in the area is only uh, half a million, 1.2 million, 1.15 million. And then you realize, oh, oh, that's because we're looking at condos and apartments. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, those are going to be much less. But how about, how about a little, how about just a little house? How about just a little seven bedroom, nine bath, <laughs> 7,000 yeah, square just foot small. house with no, with no acreage? See, that's the thing you got to remember. Mar-a-Lago's on 18 acres. Yeah, it's huge. It's a, a gigantic piece of property that sprawls from coast to coast because it's, it's on an island. And we're going to rely on a judge. Right. Who takes no advice, who probably did the very same thing. He probably looked on Zillow and didn't realize he was looking at condos because that's what we're really talking about here. Yeah, of course. Right. These people are dim. They have, they, they, I mean, not only do they have no idea what they're doing, but they have no care and they're driving business out of New York. With this ruling. Kevin O'Leary, the, uh, the Shark Tank guy, Mr. Wonderful, has been on tour oh, yeah. uh, discussing what a travesty this case is and encouraging investors and business owners to get out of New York. 
of O'Leary Ventures. Some call him Mr. Wonderful. We'll call him Kevin O'Leary tonight. Kevin, thank you so be for being here today. I have to ask you, I mean, look, some people look at all this and they say, is this what happens in business, what Trump has said he's done or is accused of being done? You've been doing real estate for decades. Does this case strike you as odd? Well, let's leave out Trump for a minute and let's leave out politics and just talk about what happens in real estate development anywhere. So if you're a developer and you've got a building on, on a block anywhere in America and it's worth, let's say, $500 million and you want to build a building right beside it, you go to the bank and say, this building is worth $500 million. I'd like to borrow a construction finance loan against this asset. And I want you to tell me it's worth $500 million too. And the bank negotiates with you and says, well, no, we think it's worth $400 million. And you fight it out. You're always trying to show your assets in the brightest light with the sunshine you can possibly determine for them. You want them to be worth the very most because you're only going to get a 40 or 50% loan to value, as it's called. Then you borrow that money. In the case of a $500 million asset, maybe you get $250 million, and you build a new building with a construction finance loan. And so that's what this case is all about. What, and, and by the way, forget about Trump. Every single real estate developer everywhere on earth does this. They always talk about their asset being worth a lot, and the bank says no. And that's just the way it is. So in this case, when I'm trying to figure out, and I'm not pro or con, or I don't care about the politics, who lost money? Nobody. The bank got paid back the construction finance loan, and a new building was built. And if, if you're going to sue this case and win, you got to sue every real estate developer everywhere. This is all they do. This is what they do all day long, every day. So I don't think this thing will ever survive appeal, regardless of what the fine is. This doesn't even make sense. Now, look, I know Trump's got a lot of problems in other indictments and everything else, but but this, if you're a real estate developer, you're watching this, you're saying, what is this? This is ridiculous. Well, you know, the thing is, most people who are in this world are not real estate developers, and they necessarily don't know that this is the way maybe things are done, even if it might be violative of the law. But the question about who loses money, and I've heard this argument, and he's raised this argument, and others have raised this argument, but who's the little victim here? How about the fact that um, you can get a tax benefit? for having overvalued or having a different value that's actually normal. Doesn't that deprive the state of revenue? Is that enough, do you think? <laughs> I know you're laughing, you better but this ready is to rich people problems are very different than my world. Go ahead. <laughs> the, the, I, I mean, I get it. I get it. I totally get it. And you're making a valid point. But it's humorous in the sense that you have to sue every single real estate developer here in Miami, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in Detroit, in Dallas. This is what they do every day. This is what the real estate game is all about. It's getting construction financing against stabilized assets. When a building is fully leased out and everybody's renting it and you've got offices or you've got apartments in it, it's called a stable asset. And you value it and you go to the bank and say, this asset is worth $500 million, And I want to borrow $250 million against it. And the bank always negotiates with you. Everybody understands how this works. And that's why it's the same thing when you're buying a house. When you're buying a house, you have to pay for an appraisal because the yeah. bank wants somebody and wants an expert 
to go out, view the property, and establish the value of it. To determine, are we going to give this citizen a loan of this amount of money to buy this property? Because they want the property, they want to be able to use the property to recoup the cost of the loan if something should happen, you know, the, the, the person taking out the loan dies or, you know, just stops paying. They repossess the house, they sell it at auction, and they, you know, in theory, they get the money that they loaned, that they loaned you back in, in, in the sale price of, of the property. They yeah. don't just look at what you claim your property is worth and go, okay, yeah, that sounds good. But that's what this, ju- this judge did in this case. He looked at the prices of condos in the area on Zillow.com and said, oh, no, Trump, Trump grossly overvalued Mar-a-Lago. So we're going to seize all of his properties in New York and we're going to undervalue those too so that he can't just sell uh, one building and, and you know, pay us this, this fine that we demand. We undervalued Mar-a-Lago, so we're going to undervalue all of this prime commercial real estate that Trump owns in New York. And I don't know. I mean, the good news, by the way, is uh, Trump did a merger with his social media company, uh, Truth Social, and another company called uh, Dwack and made a, a cool $3.8 billion on that deal. So Ooh. he could literally just cut him a check. But that's why I wanted to talk about plea deals. Because a plea deal is basically just saying, okay, right, go away. Fine, whatever you say, just, leave, just please leave me alone. And this is one of these things that drives me crazy about the state of the world. Because it's like the mask mandates or the vaccine mandates. Fine, I'll wear my mask everywhere. Just leave me alone. Fine, I'll, I'll take your vaccine that isn't really a vaccine if you'll just leave me alone. Fine, I'll plead guilty to a lesser crime so you'll just leave me alone. Would you ever do something like that? Fuck no. I wouldn't either. But let me get a little serious on you. They come to you and say, uh, this person accused you of, of this crime and you have to plead to this lesser, you know, domestic assault case um, or we're going to keep you in court for months or years. You're going to have to pay your attorney on, on retainer and, and $500 an hour for months and months. Basically, we're just going to hold these charges over you in an attempt to, to bleed you dry. Can that happen in the UK? Is that, a, is that a reality? It sure is a reality here. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Because your lawyers, I mean, I, I guess if you were using a public defender, you could, force, you could force the trial, but too many people, too many people agree to lesser charges just to make the whole thing go away. And that's created yeah. this legal industrial complex 
where now the lawyer just works to get you a good plea deal and you do six months of community service and pay a small fine and you're now in the legal system, you now have a criminal record or, or maybe you negotiated the criminal record away. Either way, the DA gets the prosecution, the judge gets the prosecution, the police officer gets, it, it, it all works out great for everyone in the system except for you. And it, 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 it just, it disgusts me. It absolutely disgusts me. And, and DOJ could give a rat's ass. There was that, that story about uh, Robert Hur that we talked about a little bit last week, right? Um, Joe Biden was questioned by the special prosecutor regarding the documents. And the special counsel's, you know, ultimate decision was we're not going to press charges. And they said, why aren't you going to press charges? By they, I mean the public. And the special counsel said, well, because he's a feeble old man that's not fit to suit or that's not uh, fit to stand trial, which, of course, held tremendous backlash. And uh, judicial oversight in Congress said we need to see the transcript of that interview that the special counsel conducted with the president. And the DOJ said, nah, we're not we're not going to give it to you, even though they're legally obligated to give it to them. They said, no, we're not going to do it because we're the Department of Justice and we do what you what we want. And in fact, if you're going to push us about this transcript of this conversation, well, maybe we'll just open up investigations into you and you and you and anyone else that demands we see this this transcript. It's so outrageous, isn't it? And all they have to do is get a corrupt attorney general like Letitia James, a corrupt prosecutor, a corrupt district attorney, and a corrupt judge, and then the truth doesn't matter. And imagine if you're a congressman. Imagine if you're Donald Trump trying to run a presidential campaign and having to go from Iowa at 11 o'clock at night to, to the airport to get on a plane to fly back to New York or fly back to Fulton County, Georgia, which was actually kind of funny. This, uh, so this uh, district attorney, Big Fanny Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, she got caught. And she got caught in, in, in initially, so, so they, they had this uh, testimony a few days ago and Trump actually said, oh yeah, I think I'm going to come down. I'm going to come down there and, and, and watch this trial. And everybody was like, oh shit, he's going to do it. He's going to go because this, these were some of the things that they were doing to him in New York. The, the judge, like other, other judges and other prosecutors that were involved in the case in some way were coming to his hearings. To, to just sort of be there and, and sneer in his face and, and smirk at him sitting there in front of the judge being dragged on, on these bogus charges, hoping that they can just whittle him down, just exhaust him, bleed him dry. 
all of his resources, all of his support. And then ultimately, I, I think the goal is to throw him in prison because they, if they can throw him in prison, then he's guilty in the court of public opinion. And that's what they're really going for. Now, when this whole hearing was, was being organized and, and set to take place, Fannie Willis and her lawyers decided that they were going to try to challenge the subpoena and she wasn't going to testify. But then, like some sort of deranged superhero, Fannie Willis shows up in the courtroom and <laughs> I wish you could see the video. It's everywhere. Please look it up. The look on the lawyer's face, the, the, uh, the prosecutor is, is priceless. But and, I mean, you know, like in a good way. And th this is how it went down. District Attorney Fanny, F-A-N-I. Fanny. Last name is Willis. Um, and she's Willis, nervous as hell. How did you know to come into the courtroom right like that? There were people I was pacing in my office. Okay. And um, I heard someone yell. His can you hear it all right? Is the volume good? Uh, I can hear it just perfect, mate. All right. Testimony is done. Um, it only made sense to me that I would be your next witness. And I've been very anxious to have this conversation with you today. Liar. So I ran to the courtroom. No, she was not anxious. She's terrified. She's clearly terrified. And she decided at the last minute that she was going to come in and try to play some mind games. So as soon as um, you heard that Mr. Wade was done testifying, that's when you just assumed you would be the next witness. It only makes sense. Um, did you listen to any of the testimony? I've been in my office pacing, ma'am. Um, did you listen to any of the arguments? I did hear the arguments this morning. It's ridiculous to me that the, you lied on Monday, and yet here we still are. And I did listen to that argument. Um, um, all right, so that was it, just the argument, no testimony. All right, I listened to the argument this morning where Adam Abadi, I thought, did an excellent job. And she catches the lawyer off guard. I mean, that's, that's part of the whole game, right? Like, she isn't expecting to interview you know this the, the lawyer isn't expecting to examine fanny willis and then she shows up to everyone's you know shock and awe that was all part of the part of the plan i have this uh, this excellent highlight clip from the bbc which will give us a little bit of overlap but i'm just going to charge forward and i'm sure. very anxious to have this conversation with them today I think we. Well, I very much want to be here, so I'm not a hostile witness. I very much want to be. Not here. so much that you're hostile, Miss Willis. It'd be an adverse witness. Your interests are opposed to Miss Merchants. That's clear because you've lied in this. This. Let me tell you which one you lied in. Right here. I think you lied right here. No, 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 no. This is the truth, Judge. And this, it, it, it is a lie. It is gonna, a lie. Right, Miss Willis. Mister Sena, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. I'm sure if you ask Mr. Wade, because he's a male, he would say we ended June or July because physical contact ended then. Just in my mind, being a woman, it's over when you have that like hard conversation. That's, I just think women and men think differently. And I think the answer, Mr. Sado, to your question was she's not sure whether it was before or after the indictment. I don't really know. I didn't really know what to make of all the accusations because 
it's a it's being alleged that she had an inappropriate relationship with one of her prosecutors. And you know, who who really cares? Right? Right. Except then it gets into payments back and forth and cash payments and where the money came from. And she even admits that some of it came from her campaign. It's almost as if she doesn't realize that she just screwed up royally. Did you ever pay him through Cash App? No. You only ever paid him through cash? Yes. uh, We're talking about, I'm very confused. You've never given Mr. Wade money through Cash App? No. The only money you've ever given him outside of a contract is cash. I didn't give him money in a contract, so that was cute. But I didn't give him money outside uh, in a contract. What happened is not what we she don't asked. answer it since you said it. <laughs> he worked. He worked more hours than he was paid, and the county paid him for the work that he did. So don't be cute with me and then think that you're not going to get an answer. And I will ask you about the contract in a minute. I asked you about cash. Did you ever pay him <laughs> anything? And I'm trying to qualify my questions. I'm not talking about the contract with Fulton County that, that was paid. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about outside of that, did you ever pay him anything other than cash? I've only given him cash a few times in, in the course of what we're talking about. So you've if never we would go to dinner, let, him, let her finish her answers. If we would go to dinner, I wouldn't give him cash because he paid for dinner or I paid for dinner. I've given him cash only a few times in life, probably four. Okay. Probably the most money I've ever handed him is $2,500. The least amount of money I've handed him, probably between $500 and $1,000. You never wrote him a check? Ma'am, I don't have checks. Okay. Um, So you have no proof of any reimbursement for any of these things because it was all cash, right? The testimony of one witness is enough to prove a fact. So my question was, do you have any proof? Is that what you're intimating right here? I'm asking if you have any proof that you paid him any money. I mean, the proof is what I just told you. You have no written proof. Is that correct? So I have some, um, probably some transactions like in Belize. I probably spent $500 on my card uh, in Belize. I spent 800, I can't remember, 900 bucks on each of our tickets to go to Belize. I did the $700. I probably got some minor expenses in Aruba that would be on a card. But for the most part for those trips, other than, so the two cruises, I gave him money for those before we ever left. Um, Cause they were pre-booked. Let me answer. Well, the, the, the question was if you had any written proof. And so- So I've answered you that I've had written we proof. We can move to the next question. If you've answered if you had any written proof, and that was my question. Um, I, I want to make sure that we're clear that for the two cruises, Judge, and that's I the asked if she gave him written proof. We're not going to talk over <laughs> Ms. Merchant, she answered your question, so. So I guess you're done. Now, what, what do you have to say? Like, listening to this testimony, listening to her attitude, what are your impressions? My impressions is she wanted to get ahead of something before it came out. It it really does stink of that. It really does. Like, and she's not, she doesn't want to be there. So the only reason she, I think she feels like she needs to be there is because she knew that something would come out and she just wants to frame it in her own way. 
And of course, her boyfriend had just testified before this. Now, now, but let's get into the the ethics, the scandal itself. She starts dating this Nathan Wade guy who works for her. Or he begins to work for her after they start dating. I mean, does any of that really matter to you? Does any of that stand out as relevant when it comes to, I mean, this is the person, this Fanny Willis character. She decided that she was going to begin an unprecedented prosecution of a former president, something that's never been done before in the history of the country. While she's dating her coworkers, her subordinates, and paying them in cash, and not keeping any record of it. And she makes these claims of, uh, oh, yeah, I took this cash from my campaign, but, it, but they were repaying me uh, a loan that I paid to the campaign when it was getting started. However, I have, I have no receipts or ledgers or any kind of paper trail to prove that it was all on the up and up. Does that, would that concern you? Would, would, if, if, if this woman was prosecuting you and you had gone through this rigmarole just to learn that this is the kind of person that is coming after you. How would you feel about that? I'd feel insanely happy. It would be the best news ever. Why? Um, well, because in the best case scenario, she is an incredibly unprofessional person. And so there's a lot to be said about um, discrediting her entire uh, process based on her unprofessional um, work-life balance. And at the very worst case scenario she's not only unprofessional but somebody that has an ulterior motive and so i would be insanely happy at this news yeah i don't think any i don't think trump has made any statements about it, it which is probably a good idea that's probably on it's the, a great idea yeah it, just, on the just, advice you know, of his lawyers yeah don't don't interrupt your enemies failing like Right from uh, The Art of War by Sun Tzu, which is one of Donald Trump's favorite books, which even inspired him to write uh, The Art of the Deal, which re- references some of the, you know, Sun Tzu was the great uh, military leader in, uh, in China. In China, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was China, yeah. yeah. Who, uh, you know had all of these, you know, he was a, a, a tactical master in the art of war. And that's why he, you know, wrote this book. So you're a hundred percent, right? Donald Trump is looking at this going, well, my, en- my enemies are hurting themselves. So I better just leave them to it. And I keep, yeah. I keep refreshing because the judge is expected to make a decision today. I believe. Of course, it'll probably be right. It'll be right after we sign off. So all the Wednesday, (laughs) all the Wednesday afternoon podcasts will have it. But that's okay. You know, this is just, 
it's another example of the DOJ run amok and their their selective prosecution and 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 them, you know, bigger picture saying if you're on the team, you're safe. But if we don't like what you say, we will ruin you. And that's mm. and and I, I I don't know if these people understand that. Like in the case of Fulton County, Georgia, Trump called the governor and the secretary of state at the time, who who have both over the course of the last couple of years shown themselves to be horrible scumbags even though they're supposedly republicans they're what we like to call rhinos r-i-n-o republican in name only and they're they're everywhere this is why you know like most of the this legislation that freedom-loving americans wish to see legislated only gets a hundred votes or so because out of 435 Congress people, only about 100 really care about the will of their constituents. And they're all Republicans. The Democrats, as we bring up continually on this show, march in lockstep, following the globalist narrative, and then half of yeah, the Republicans and then, and then half of the Republicans fall uh, under that banner. As well, and we're left here footing the bill for all of it. And this is, I think, one of the the things that makes this Fannie Willis scandal important. They're doing all of this stuff with taxpayer money, or money that was meant to go to her election campaign, re-election campaign. And so she hires her boyfriend to be one of the prosecutors on the case, make a whole shitload of taxpayer money. And then they're sneaking around doing deals in cash and saying, oh, yeah, he he paid for this, but I paid him back in in cash. I have no way of no way of proving that. It could easily be said, oh, he bribed me. With these trips to get this job, which I gave to him. And I think that's, that's ridiculous. I, I think that's why this story has created such a sensation. Yeah, because it's such an obvious conflict of interest. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's like they didn't give a shit. It was, you know, well, it's, I don't know. You, I think it would best be said, you have proven that you can't act appropriately in just your average day-to-day routine? How can we expect you to behave appropriately when you're doing something as important as prosecuting a former president? Which the Constitution has language for. A president is supposed to be impeached in the House, tried in the Senate, and convicted. Or not convicted. Convicted or acquitted. And these things, he he was never impeached for asking the Secretary of State in Georgia to find these votes as they're declaring the state to Joe Biden while they're still counting the votes. And they say, oh, oh, we're, we're all done. 
and then they find uh, 90,000 military ballots. But Trump's saying, you need to find, you need to find more votes. We only need 11,000 votes. Somehow they've turned that into a crime, which is not a crime. It's a protected First Amendment right to speak out against what you think, what you believe to be is an injustice. And that, that's, that's the burden of proof that they have to prove in Fulton County. Yeah, for sure. For they, sure. They have I mean, to it's, prove. It, yeah, for sure. It's, it's not a crime, but I mean, it is a bit, it is a bit dictatorship-ish. So I don't particularly like what Trump has did, but it's not illegal. Well, this is the same state that declared a pipe burst in the arena where they were counting ballots. And that's why they had to shut it down. Which was later revealed to be nothing more than an overflowing urinal. There was no burst pipe. Now, when you hear, oh, a pipe burst. They had, they had to stop counting votes for a urinal that didn't work, right? No, they had to stop counting votes so they could figure out how many fake votes that they needed to inject into the system so that Joe Biden could be declared victorious. So they made up a story about a pipe bursting to cover up their malfeasance. It came out later that it was, in fact, an overflowing urinal. Because, of course, they couldn't prove at any time that a pipe actually burst in the arena. So they have to prove now in Fulton County that Donald Trump didn't really believe that the election was stolen. But if you look at the case in New York, the facts don't really matter to this Justice Department. The only thing that matters, the thing that matters the most, is that they get Donald Trump. And if he's convicted on all these charges, he's going to die in prison. Joe Biden wants Donald Trump to die in prison. And that's a lot like um, what's just happened with Alexei Navalny, hasn't it? So he right. has now been found completely uh, uh, deleted from uh, this earth. Um, he was staying up in a prison on the Arctic Circle, which I can only imagine was fucking terrible, bro. Um, Alexei Navalny, for people that don't know, was probably one of the strongest uh, opposition political figures for Vladimir Putin in Russia for the last 20 years. I can't think of anyone else that's put up as much of a resistance. Um, if you think before or around the, the Ukraine war, he was poisoned, allegedly poisoned by the Russians. Um, he spent some time in Germany um, uh, recovering from uh, the nerve agent that only comes from Russia. Um, it's definitely a message that they send out to people. It's a, it's a nerve agent that they hit people with that's only made in one place, and that's Russia. And um, it's incredibly dangerous. But luckily, we have, um, <laughs> luckily we have cures for it. And so he decided um, instead of going into exile that he went back to Russia to face. Um, his enemies. He was then imprisoned. He was uh, faced with charges of um, campaign fund embezzlement um, and other related um, anti-establishment-esque crimes. He was found guilty of those crimes and then put into prison. He spent a great deal of time in prison on hunger strike. Um, then he was transferred 
very difficult to get access to him to see how he was doing. Um, he was then transferred to a prison up in the Arctic Circle. And then recently, I think it was last week, they found um, he had passed away. And so now we're in a position where um, people aren't quite sure what to do about it. The UK today has just said they've frozen the assets of six Russian prison bosses um, in charge of the Arctic penal colony where opposition leader... Alexei Navalny died. Alexei Navalny apparently was found with multiple um, sort of blunt trauma uh, wounds on him. Um, so, and that and the official of... story is that he died suddenly. Yeah, the official story is that he died suddenly. Although his his body looks like it's been beaten up, uh, which <laughs> it's just, it's so Russian, isn't it? It's like no, this is this has not happened, dude. It's so um, it's so Russian, and I mean, I don't even know, really know what that means. Like, pardon pardon my own ignorance, but the to me it, it means uh, we're gonna send a message because this is all like a uh, buddy of mine just gave me a book about. Uh, COVID-19 excess deaths. It's, it's more like an yeah. aggregation of, of graphs and, and news stories. Uh, I just don't want to give the impression that somebody has already written a pub and published a book about the excess deaths that we're, we're just now learning about. Yeah. But uh, for the West, for the conservative West, we're all very concerned, right, about the excess deaths and all the reports of, of sudden death in... in young athletes that really have no business dying of cardiac events to see Russia turn around and be like, uh, Oh yeah, Navaldi. He, yeah, he just, he died suddenly. He, uh, an unexplainable cardiac event. It's almost as if they like, I just, <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's I very strange. Myself. I mean, they, they've, <sighs> Other people have told of the ways people die in these penal colonies. So um, Vladimir Oskeshkin, uh, the founder of the human rights group Gulag.net, uh, claimed that he believed the Russian authorities kept Mr. Navalny, Navalny's body out in the cold for hours before killing him, potentially with one punch to the heart, claiming that former oh. prisoners from the Arctic region had previously told of such deaths. So other people know, like, so they're saying that he has died from some kind of cardiac event, but I can imagine that that might have been spurred on by the fact that they left him out in the cold and then punched him directly in the chest. Uh, and then that killed him. So it's just, it's so brutal. I mean, um, there's lots of people uh, relating uh, Julian Assange to Alexei Navalny in the same way in which they're both, you know, political prisoners in their own right. Um, Romanian foreign ministries summoning the Russian ambassador. There's so many countries getting involved. Um, Alexei Navalny's mother files a lawsuit with the Russian court demanding the release of her son's body. Yeah, she's going to join him in the gulag. Um, yeah, they're going to they're going to throw her in the gulag next to her dead son's body. God. Bro, it, like, yeah, see, see, I'm sorry, Babushka, but you're fucking gone. Um, yeah, consider yourself dead. Yeah, good luck. Here's this headless corpse to examine. We promise it's yep. Alexei Navalny. <laughs> yeah, for Why sure. Why has he gone um, ahead? Richie Sunak's. <laughs> exactly, right? Yay, yay. All the families together in the same unmarked grave. Yay. <laughs> oh, I, can't, I'm, I, I can't believe I'm laughing about this. It's so terrible. I mean, but in, in, a, in a sort of morbidly humorous way, this is Russia doing what Russia does. 
And I just yeah, I, he he does it best. I I I keep I keep going back to the to the Putin interview that we covered last week with right with Tucker and 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 Prigozhin even remember Prigozhin yeah Prigozhin yeah, was uh, uh, an exceptionally um, I would say even even further right wing figure than than Putin um, even more nationalistic. Uh, even more imperialistic than than Putin, which is sort of funny. But you can imagine, like, while that Tucker Carlson and Putin interviews going on, Putin's biggest opposition was in a fucking penal colony, getting like, you know, beaten up or put out in the cold in the Arctic Circle. And what was his crime? That he dared to go against Putin. Well, and of course, the Russian propaganda is is all rolling out. I mean. I yeah. I don't I see and he, here's where I get stuck. I I don't want to believe that it's Russian propaganda because the people that I really enjoy, the political pundits and personalities and content creators, some of them are going all in on about how, you know, Navalny was a a grifter, he was the son of, you know, one of the first uh, you know, Russian Russian oligarchs that was sort of western friendly russian oligarch and so that's how uh you know navalny kind of came to relevance because of course the cia is is you know involved and 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 hillary clinton wanted to overthrow russia and and the democrats want to install new leadership in russia and so they picked navalny to to be the guy but navalny was you know oligarch class would have been even worse than putin and and i'm like man come on like why are you even gonna go there the guy is dead why are you even going to go there? It, it's like the... Yeah, and, and I mean, what do you expect? Like, someone in Russia has to be connected to even play on that stage. You can't expect some grassroots person from Siberia to, to, to start a political movement. You, the amount of money and pull and weight that you need to even start a political movement in Russia is huge. So you're, any, any opposition person is going to come from that world. And that's Russia, where the democratic barrier to entry is probably the highest of any democratic quote unquote democratic nation um you know they're, they're a democracy on paper just like north korea um and and just like uh, any other republic that you know calls themselves some sort of democratic republic like the congo as well is very much the same same way so <laughs> I would say yes. You know, there are Alexei Navalny had his issues for sure. Is was he a perfect person to take over from Putin? Uh, that's up to the Russian people to decide. That's not up to us. Well, and, the and Navalny, uh, according to uh, Statista, Navalny only had twenty five percent support with uh, eighteen to twenty four year olds, and then twenty percent. 25 to 39, 11%, 40 to 54, and 10%, 55 and up. So yeah. Putin wasn't really even that threatened, it doesn't seem. Uh, he these... was massively, he was massively threatened. Well, he, massively felt, threatened. he felt threatened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reality of, of that threat, I mean, didn't, like, Navalny straight up challenged him. Right, like stepped up and said, "I'm I'm running against you." Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this kind of gets back to what Chris Wallace was saying. Why Why do your political opponents suddenly end up dead 
so often? Of course, we didn't get to hear the answer to that. But it probably would have been something like, uh, if you fuck around, you find out, huh? (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, you know, Putin came into power and sorted out a lot of the corruption issues in the country and then systematically installed his own. Uh, So um, that's just the situation. The, the The real injustice is not what happened um, to Alexei Navalny, really. It's the fact that the Russian public were denied the opportunity to vote for another candidate um, other than Putin. Um, and that's a real shame. No, that's, a, that's a real shame. Because whether the Russian public you know, decided you know, they only wanted to give him 15% of the vote or 19% of the vote, and that's fine. You know, the, the Russian public should be allowed to decide whether they want Putin for the future or whether they don't want Putin for the future. That is not for us to decide in the Western world. You know, we don't get a choice. Um, we just have to deal with what he does in, in the public stage, in the global stage. But I think the real injustice really is that, you know, the, the Russian public have no choice. You know, he, Putin gets like, what, like 60, 70% of the vote, like every election. And he, he hails that as some massive victory. But in the same space, it's like, well, what else are they going to vote for? Like, if they have, like, one guy, Putin, and then the other opposition leader is somebody that Putin's installed to be a weak opposition leader. Yeah, then controlled opposition. That's, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, every time you get someone like Alexei Navalny that, that's, like, not someone that's under Putin's thumb and has literally more than 10% of the vote, Putin just fucking deletes them from, from the oh, earth. Man, you're um, here. You're drawing, you're drawing disturbing parallels between communist Russia and capitalist free America. <laughs> yeah. Because well, it's, it's the same. It's literally the same thing. Not, I mean, not just on an opposition leader uh, uh, level, you know, not, not even from that standpoint, but, but even from the, the two-party system. Like, the Democrats yeah. are this tremendous juggernaut uh, you know, the, this unstoppable force and the Republicans are a bunch of feckless pussies like, oh, yeah, we, we had it as well. You know, we had it as well. Like Labour, when Jeremy Corbyn was running Labour, was incredibly weak opposition. And when Keir Starmer first came to power in Labour, they were an incredibly even weaker opposition. And that allowed the Tories to do whatever they wanted, basically. And it's an incredibly dangerous position to be in. You know, if, if the Republicans get into power and the Democrats completely, you know, f- f- go asleep to the wheel, uh, that's a terribly dangerous position, as well as the, the Republicans being uh, completely asleep to the wheel. You need to have on both sides active, good, independent opposition. Otherwise, you just have this, like, direct route to authoritarian uh, and tyranny. I, I 100% agree. I, I don't believe, I don't think anyone... Uh, not with two brain cells to rub together, believes that if the Republicans seize control uh, this, you know, later on this year, that the Democrats will just roll over. It's going to be bedlam. Yeah. But one, one other uh, disturbingly, mind-blowingly similar event that, that just happened, uh, oh, oh, yeah, last, last week. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, three, three days ago, this article from, uh, from Feb- February 18th, let's, uh, oh, let's, let's do the American one first. Yeah, sure. 
from foxnews.com. Charlotte protesters attack officers, set tractor, trail, uh, set tractor trailer on fire in riots at Eritrean cultural event. The Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department said eight people were arrested Saturday during a 10-hour protest and standoff that stemmed from an Eritrean cultural event. Clashes erupted between rival groups of Eritreans and police confirmed that officers trying to disperse the unlawful crowds were attacked by people wielding sticks, rocks, and other items. Now let's, let's jump over to GB News, which I'm becoming a yep. fan of. It reminds me a lot of uh, Newsmax. <laughs> Headline, brawling migrants, torch cars, and attack police as chaos erupts in Dutch city, turning it into a war zone. I was a little, a little sensational, but that's all right. I'll let it go. Yeah. Published, uh, well, we, are, we already mentioned uh, February 18th for GB News. And just hopping back over to Fox News, this article was also published on February 18th. My goodness. How, how could this be? From the article, the GB News article, violence has erupted between two groups of migrants in The Hague who attacked police with bricks and set alight their cars. How, what, how, how very British. I love it. Yeah. Foot, footage, I mean, it, or English, I should say. Well, th- this is in the Netherlands, right? This is not even here. Oh, well, I, I was just referring to the phrasing of... of uh, the, oh, yeah. The, in the that text. case, you're, you're very... Yeah, it's very, it's very British. If I had to say a specific area, this would be very Birmingham. This would be very Leicester. Or if we want to go a little bit further afield, this is very Ar- Irish, to be fair. Oh, that's racist. Uh, from the article, <laughs> footage from the scene shows vehicles in flames and men chucking rocks outside the opera conference hall along Fruitweg in the Netherlands. Quote, it got seriously out of hand, the Hague municipality spokesman Robin Medell said. Supporters of the Eritrean government were holding them. Hold on, let me go back and check the Fox News article. It was uh, Eritrean cultural event in Charlotte, North Carolina. But there was also an, a violent Eritrean event in the Netherlands. The streets were yeah. covered with shards of glass and officers kitted up in riot gear dealt with a fire inside the building. It's actually, they, they wrote dire, must have been autocorrect. They, oh, I understand what's going on. They, they were, had a cultural, it's an Eritrean cultural festival, so they must have done it globally. Yeah, buddy, I've, I've, oh, I'm, I'm all over it. I'm all over it. Let me find it. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? It's, it's called uh, Fenkill Day. And it's like, ah. a, it's like a week long. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we should have built up the suspense a little bit more. <laughs> At least four police officers were hurt during a violent riot. With two sustaining injuries to their hands, the third to their teeth, and the fourth being hit by a police car. Whoops. Quote, out of nowhere, our colleagues were confronted with very intense and serious violence, said police commander Mariel Van Vulpen. Jan Van Zan, the city's mayor, said, quote, the violence used against police officers and equipment is appalling and unacceptable. Police units The Hague posted on social media or police unit The Hague posted on social media, quote, at Fruitweg in Den Haag, a confrontation between two groups of Eritreans 
resulted in a fight. Do you buy it? This is completely outrageous, bro. Why the fuck are they fleeing? Okay. The Eritreans have fled their home country for Europe and other places around the globe. And instead of just getting on with their lives, they're bringing their fucking problems to us. We've got enough shit going on as it is. If you want to fight about fucking Eritrean and complain about your government, go the fuck back to Eritrea. Tell somebody who cares. <laughs> Literally, don't come here and fucking complain about your shit back in your country. We've got enough shit going on. Don't come here and fucking blow up our shit. I don't give a fuck about your government in Eritrea. You've come here because you want our government and our system better. So don't start fucking up this place because you don't like what it is back home. All right. I'm not going to go. I'm moving to Canada. Right. But I'm not going to go down to my local municipal fucking hall and complain about the new government in the UK. The American Revolution was bullshit. Burn, Canada. Burn. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, bro. This is so fucking stupid. That's why I don't uh, buy it. It's so stupid. That's why uh, I don't buy is, it. Yeah, like, this is ridiculous, man. On the uh, same day, so this is, a, uh, uh, according to my research, this is like a week-long celebration, I guess. <laughs> a, a celebration yeah. signified by rioting and burning local law enforcement equipment. I mean, that's why, to, to my mind, it just sounds completely ridiculous. What sounds more, of a, more believable is that it was meant to be a coordinated attack that culminated in uh, small localized riots in, in two different places. Meant think, to somehow... I think, I think you're putting massive faith into the Eritreans, mate. That yeah. they would be organized enough to do that. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but how much, how much would the organizing actually take? If, if you have, as I believe we do have, a centralized figure or a few centralized figures that are facilitating the destabilization of the West by massive immigration from, from war-torn and or poverty-stricken countries... You already have contact with these people. We know in, in the circumstances of South American immigrants, we know that there are non-governmental organizations funded by people like George Soros and, and the American government as well who are organizing caravans. They're setting up these support centers, giving migrants maps to tell them how to get to the country where, where then they receive benefits they receive phones they they they're 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 given a way to be contacted now i i'm not saying that that's what's happening in the netherlands but communication is so easy and if you have money to put behind it why why wouldn't you i mean if you're if you're a migrant to a foreign country where in europe correct me if i'm mistaken it's much more difficult to come by employment because of, of immigration laws than it, than it is in the United States. So you're desperate for cash. You're away from your homeland. And someone says, hey, go cause a ruckus and I'll give you 500 euro. I mean, I, I, I think the number of people that would refuse to do something like that is smaller than the number of people who would happily. You yeah, I, 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 agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. That doesn't mean, um, what, I mean, there's, I have no evidence to support that, but I go there in my brain when I hear such an un, 
and just an unbelievable recounting that also happens on the same day in, in, in like the same day and, and, and the day Fenkill day that that's February 10th. And it like kicks off the week long, whatever celebration or, or, or remembrance of, yeah. of some battle that happened in, in Ethiopia. How can it go any other way? This is, this is more proof of my theory that the migrant violence is going to destabilize the West. And for what? I, I only shudder. I only shudder to think. But it, yeah, this... I, I agree. Our, our tolerance of some of this is, is going to be quite key. Um, you know, when, when someone attacks us, you know, we, we shouldn't just roll over and just like fucking accept it. I mean, there's, 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 there's problems with, with some of this, which is if we don't fucking deal with it, then the integration of these people is, is going to be terrible because they'll just stay in their own bubble and they'll just live on their own and they'll just do their thing. And just fuck around with us, you know. It's like the gypsy population in in um in Europe. They have no they they have no desire to integrate with any of our society, and so there's this constant like back and forth between us, where we hate each other, and that's just our existence. And we we risk doing the same thing with a lot of these migrants because culturally we are so different. Their idea of a cultural moment is having a fucking fight in the middle of the street and burning shit down. Um, and a lot of our institutions are so scared of sounding racist that they don't do anything. Like this story I dropped to you about the one in Ireland where a migrant just randomly came out and stabbed like two children and a teacher or something. Right, right. That um, was the, that was the stabbing attack, um, where, where it, he was a migrant, but he was actually, uh, had actually been living in Ireland for, for 20 years, they claim. Yeah. Why that matters, I don't really know. They, well, they'll say that because they'll say, oh, well, you know, he's, this is what I mean. They're like so scared of like saying shit for what it is. You know, they want to frame everything in the right light. And of course, they're doing this to stop the riots because straight after this happened, there was a huge protest and riot in Ireland. Right, like um, hours. Hours after. Yeah, it was it was fucking huge. Like people came out and just started blowing shit up. Um, because they know how to party over in Ireland. You know, yeah. they're like the Eritreans on fucking steroids. <laughs> uh like they, they It's know. fucking St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, li- literally like it was like, all right, you guys want to stab us up? All right, we're gonna fucking go crazy. It's oh, it was three children. Three children and a school care assistant were stabbed outside a city center primary school on a Thursday afternoon. For what motive? Nobody knows. They won't tell us. They won't even tell us the guy's fucking name. Um, they won't give us any fucking information. It's dead on arrival, and they just they've just shoved this thing under the rug because they don't want people to rise about it. And no one wants to accept the fact that when you take in a bunch of people from a different culture, that there's going to be issues. And people are not talking about that. That's going to be an issue. And if we don't talk about it, we can't sort it out. And then it's too fucking late. Then we get places like fucking Birmingham. We get places like uh, what's next to Leeds over in the UK, Bradford um, <laughs> uh, or Luton, and then we get these huge areas of people. I was going to say Miami. The... Yeah, right, right. You know, we get these places which are just full of like one, <laughs> one culture. 
which is how human beings behave, I think. Because it's yeah. the same thing. Like, uh, I remember when I was working for FedEx years ago, there was a Russian guy. He and his daughter worked, worked the same, uh, or like they worked together on the same truck, the same route. He just helped out. And uh, one of the other guys, I overheard them talking. He said, so where, where are all the Russians around here? And the guys, I remember it like it was yesterday. The guy said, the most Russian live in Southeast, you know, talking about the region of Portland. And I thought, oh, that, that, that makes perfect sense. You, you want to live with people that share your culture and speak your language. Yeah. And, you know, like go to the same church, you know, Russian Orthodox church is a, a big thing. For Russians, Mexicans, it's the same way. They congregate in, in certain areas. So what should be, I mean, what should they be doing? It, it, it's like the modern, uh, modern migrants don't feel the same obligation to integrate that the previous generation of, of migrants did. Because well, hear, it's a bit different. It's a bit different because migrants are different from asylum seekers. Yeah, that's, asylum that's, seekers that's are an, a whole a whole realm of their own compared to migrants. You know, most yeah. migrants are like, okay, I'm going to go join the UK and I'm going to do my thing, and you know, they're they're totally fine. But asylum seekers come in with a base level of nothing. They don't know how to speak English. They don't know how to do shit. Most of them are just trying to like get out of their country or whatever. And so we need to make sure we're on top of those people because. You know, we have to, if we're going to give them a place to live and, and say, look, you can come in, we need to make sure that they're going to integrate well. You know, someone coming from Pakistan that wants to bring their family over uh, in, in the normal way and do all the papers and stuff, for the most part, they come into the country, they find somewhere to live, they, you know, join a profession and, and, and that's it. You know, they're second generation, they already know how to speak English, they go to mosque on a Sunday or whatever, uh, or, or Friday, sorry. Uh, and that's and that's their life. Um, so, so for the most part, they're fine. You just get these. You just need to. You need to have the right balance, right? You can't have this thing where um, you let a bunch of people in and claim there's no problem. You need to have a bit more of a, a bit more of a grading on this, a bit more of a spectrum on this. We're saying, look, we're going to take all this stuff in, and we need to consider these factors. Well, it's it's you common know? sense, right? Like you, it really is. You can't you can't let millions and millions of people into your country uh, all, all at once or, or as often as they desire who don't have anywhere to work. They have no place to live. They don't speak the ink, the, the language. They don't right. have a driver's licenses. Right. They don't know where anything is like it. It's, it's just common sense. You can't have that because you, you have to create infrastructure. You have to create yeah, demand for the migrants. And we do have demand. We do have a, a labor shortage. But the yeah. reason we are and, and should be opposed to this unfettered immigration is because the, the real reason that these people are, are being drawn to this country by these Soros-funded NGOs I talk about is because the massive corporations in the country, the agriculture uh, industry, for example, they want that cheap labor. And this is what I don't understand. I've, I've told a story in, in 
my the multitudes of content that I've created over the last three years about the guy that I worked with at the furniture shop. He was an illegal migrant and had been living and working for this company for several years, 10, 10 years, 13 years, maybe long, long time. Well, he got really mad when he found out that I was getting paid on day three of my employment more money than he was getting paid after working there for 13 years. And that is a prime example of why we have this immigration problem. Because you're not going to protest your low wages if you're afraid of getting reported to immigration. Right. You're not going to protest your lack of paid time off or your lack of health benefits when you're a migrant that might get thrown out of the country. So why do we have these crazy Eritreans and Ethiopians going to war in the streets of the Netherlands and North Carolina when they should be grateful to be here and keeping their heads down for fear of deportation? I mean, we know why they're not afraid in the United States. Why aren't they afraid in the Netherlands? Well, they should be afraid because in, in, in Europe, it's, um, well, to be fair, it's very difficult to deport people. Um, in in Europe um, and in the UK, uh, is that because of the EU? Um, it's it's because of the burden that the, the burden to prove that they are a danger to the society uh, or a danger, and and where do you deport them to? You we can't deport them back Rwanda. to Eritrea. <laughs> yeah. Oh fucking hell! That, there's a whole story in there for you guys. Uh, that, that, that's it. the story. It's the story that keeps on giving. To be fair, and, and we won't get into it, but. You know, because there's a whole fucking podcast episode on that currently, but um, I, you know, to be fair, I think it goes back to this. Look, we need to make sure that when we're bringing in loads of, of people from all kinds of different places, that we're not inheriting their problems as much as possible. Or if we are inheriting their issues, like Eritreans want to come in and join us and then fucking start blowing up shit because they don't like the way their countries run. You know, we need to make sure we take a hard stance on that and say, look. You can't, you can't, you know, we need to say, look, you can't be doing that shit <laughs> yeah. and not be worried about, you know, people pulling the race card and saying, oh, you're like, you know, you're doing this just because of where we come from. It's like, nah, you can get fucked. I don't care. And since um, the regime is happy and, and, and I would, I would argue, uh, uh, efforting that these sort of events continue, the media won't say anything inflammatory. To, oh, no, to, to, to sway no, the no. public into no. favoring uh, uh, more restricted immigration and, you know, more harsher penalties, more deportation, we can expect that it will continue. That's yeah, my prediction. If we, if we, if we allow um, that baby to happen in, in, an e in, in an echo chamber, it will, it will fester um, in a very similar way to if we allowed you know, far-right extremism um, to, to fester, then the same shit would fucking happen. In the same, in the same way that if we allow far-left extremism to fester, like Antifa and stuff like that, it will get worse. It will fester. So we, we can't have this, like, two-system two thing where we should feel bad for someone because they're an asylum seeker and therefore they are exempt from, you know, the, the laws and restrictions that other people would have upon them. 
you know, there are restrictions to my rights. For example, I can't go over to my neighbor and blow up his car because I don't like him very much. Um, that's a restriction to my rights, I guess. Um, but for an, for another person to do that, you know, because there's a big group of them and, you know, there's all this stuff, they don't want to do fucking anything about it. And the police have to go in and be really careful about using force and stuff like that. You know, it's, it, they wouldn't do that if it was a group of people like me. Um, but it, but the Eritreans, they, they probably went kind of soft on them. So if we, if we do, if we do it that way, then what we're saying is, um, you know, if you're from a certain background, you can get away with whatever you want, just like the BLM riots, that kind of stuff. It's very, it's in a very same similar way. We need to make sure it's not about saying we need to come down hard on these people. We need to come down, you know, and just, and just start like locking everyone up. We just need to, we, we, we need to just apply the same rules to everybody and be honest, and not be afraid. Yeah. No, and just be honest and not be afraid to take the hit that's going to be from the media to say, oh, well, you know, this person has, has done this as a racially charged thing or they're locking up all these Eritrean people because, you know, we're, we're such a right-wing country. We, and then we just need to have the balls to say, no, we're doing this because of, of this. And if you don't believe that, that's on you. That's a you problem. Um, but a lot of our institutions are too scared to do that. They're more than happy to lock someone up in the UK for saying something on Facebook they didn't agree with the current message, um, which has happened quite a lot, to be fair. Um, yeah. But if something, you know, if something in the UK happens like a bunch of people in Luton from a certain background start saying death to the West and, um, you know, crashing into barriers and fucking people's cars and then nothing happens because of that then you you, you sort you that's what that's what starts the far right extremism because people start to go well there's obviously two two systems there's like one rule for me and one rule for them and then that just starts pissing people off and so we just need to like level on everyone and just say look this is the way it's going to be we're not afraid to, we're not afraid to do it as an institution Someone just needs to be strong enough in leadership. Some strong leader has to come along and just say, look, this is the way it is. If anyone fucks around, this is, this is, this, this is it. This we're is not, what they're going to find any... out. <laughs> yeah, th th there's going to be no exceptions. Doesn't matter what background you're from, if you're trans, if you're gay, if you're from you know, India, Pakistan, if you're from the UK, from Ireland, if you were born here or not, this is, this is the way it's going to be. Same set um, of rules for everyone. That's, that's, that's what it should be. What a novel It doesn't concept. feel like that. For sure, it doesn't feel like that. You're seeing that with Trump. No one else would, like that guy was saying, you'd have to do that to every fucking real estate person. You, you're not seeing that. You're seeing, you're seeing kind of this subjective um, application of the law rather than this objective application of the law, which should happen across to everybody. Well, and, and you can show that many Democrats have questioned the results of elections and no one has gone after them. And you can show, as Kevin O'Leary stated in the clip from earlier, businessmen do business. They negotiate business. They're going to try to value their assets as high as possible to get that good loan. But it doesn't matter. The facts don't matter. Justice doesn't matter if you're somebody that the regime doesn't agree with. And I just, I, 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 I hate to leave it on, on that positive note, but we're going to get into in, in the coming weeks, some of the things you talked about make me think, who are they afraid of? Why, why would the Justice Department in the Netherlands be afraid to deport people 
or prosecute people to the extent of the law. Some sort of fair judicial proceeding against these violent, who, who would they be afraid of? And unfortunately, there will be more stories. This is just my prediction for the, the future of yeah. at least the next year or so. Yeah, for uh, sure. But for now, we got to go. So visit Vox404.com, subscribe to the show, share it with everyone. Leave us a nice uh, five-star rating and review also, if you wouldn't mind. And uh, get involved in the conversation by sending an email to therealearthvox at protonmail.com. Definitely. And uh, if you want to listen to a really great, super long two-part episode, there's a really, really great uh, last week. We just went forever. We had no time constraints and we just went for it. So please go and listen to that next and, uh, you know, uh, make a bunch of popcorn, some butter popcorn and, you know, like a half-life greasy chicken leg or something that you can bite on <laughs> while you listen to it. And it's going uh, to be a great time. So I'll see you guys next week. Yeah, settle in. We will talk to you soon.